right, you can be seated if you are a kid heading off to Kidland. We've got, man, you got a, you got Jack, you got Destiny, and Milton back here. And uh, heading back on your mark, get set, and go. All right. Kids, are you guys ready for Jack, Destiny, and Milton? You guys think you can handle them today? Keep them in line? All right. Head on. And Erica's got a nursery tonight, today, so that's awesome. And uh, so if you got a baby or you got somebody who's maybe not a baby, but they're acting like a baby, send them down to the nursery. Where are you going, Terry? <laughs> All right. Hey, um, how many of you have ever had somebody ask you, what in the world did you do that for? You ever had that happen, Mom? Oh, yeah. You ever had that? What? Has your wife ever said, what did you do that for? Never, Never but you've asked her that, right? All right. Hey, what's the only right answer when somebody says, what did you do that for? What do you think's the only right answer? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> All right. Well, no. What I want to encourage you to do today and through the life of Peter, as we see this, I want to encourage you to live a life that is such that when somebody says, Troy, what did you do that for? You can say honestly, because God told me to. That's really the only right answer. And we need to live a life so walking with him that God can get the blame for our actions. Now, how many of y'all are guilty of some actions this week that God is not worthy of the blame for? Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that, that is a, a, a key thing right there. Live a life in, in such a way that God can take the blame for your actions. Now, it's not because you just did what you wanted to do and then later you just blamed God and flippantly said, you know, hey, I'm going to do what, you know, God told me to do this and God didn't tell you to do it at all. But live a life where you're constantly seeking God and to the best of your abilities, you're doing what God's asked you to do. And let me ask you a question, Natalie, when you do that, as best as you know that God wants you to do it, have you still got it wrong sometimes? Yeah, yeah. And, and, but God will straighten you out. God will get that working, but if we, if that is our desire, Andrew, to live a life where God can get the blame for our actions, man, we're going to have a lot more success. Now, I'll tell you where I kind of learned this from. Um, my first pastorate back in 1992, Ashley was like six weeks old. We were in Webster, Florida, and so that was, what, 24 years ago, something like that? You're 24 now, right? And, man, things were going good. We were going from a country church to a countywide church. But I, Linda was still going to Bible study back in Orlando at our home church. I was playing on their softball team. And some rightly said that our hearts never really left Orlando at that point. We were staying connected. And I kept hearing of problems in Orlando at the big church. It was like a 9,000-member church. Kept hearing problems and things. And as I would pray, God kept giving me the desire, like Nehemiah, to go back to my home church and be a part of that. But yet the door wasn't open for it. And I needed to be faithful in doing what he called me to do at that little country church that was now becoming a county church. Uh, well, one day Linda came home from a Bible study and said, hey, I, I think they want to hire you there. And, and I was thinking that my job was going to be a nice cushy one. I'd be an assistant pastor to the pastor. Just do whatever he said to do. Kevin, that's an easy job, right? right. Whatever the senior pastor wants, man, you just do it, man. Piece of cake. And no responsibility. Like Not... Not like the senior pastor where you take the heat and you're responsible for all these things. But I thought that's where I'd be. And so slowly but surely, Linda then came home another week and she said, Hey, I think they're calling you to be a youth pastor. 
And I'll never forget, I told God, I was like, God, I can't be a youth pastor. I don't know anything about being a youth pastor. I don't want to be a youth pastor. But in my heart, of my heart, of my heart, I knew God was saying, you're going to be a youth pastor at this huge mega church. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, God. And I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. And he said, you follow me, and I will show you what to do in all of this. And so, anyways, slowly but surely, yeah, that was God's plan. He brought us to First Baptist Church of Central Florida. And at the time, it might have been Pine Hills. They were switching, had dual campuses, all this different stuff. And I came there, and I'm like, all right, so I'll figure out how to be a youth pastor. I'll just go to all these conferences. I'll go to all these pastor meetings. And it was all about taking kids to Universal, pizza parties, all this stuff. And I'm just going, God, man, I can't do this. I can't do this. He said, what I want you to do if you will do what I want you to do, Disney and Universal and all them can't compete with you. I'm going to show you how to take youth and make disciples. And so that was my goal. From that point on as a pastor, period, I realized my job wasn't to build a ministry anymore. My job was to build people, was to make disciples, and which I hold to to this day. That is the purpose of Dripwood, is to make disciples, help us see life from God's perspective. But you know what? When you start making disciples, that gets pretty controversial, doesn't it? How many of y'all found that when you try to walk with Christ, it becomes controversial? Yeah. And, and yeah, and there's lots of critics. It becomes controversial. You cause, you cause some crises. Different things happen. And, um, and, and some of your biggest opposition is actually in the church. And has anybody found that? That some of the biggest crises that you create and you become a part of are actually in the church. And, and that shouldn't be. And that's why, man, our goal should be able to live such a life that when somebody says, why did you do that? We should be able to say, because God told me to do it. And so as I started becoming the youth pastor there, I realized that now I was taking the job of the one guy who was the only pastor who had ever been fired from that church. And he had been fired because a third of the people uh, in the youth group and their parents all believed that the kids should be isolated and secluded and protected and kept from all of the people on the west side of Orlando who needed Jesus desperately but were going to influence their kids in a negative way. I get that. But the other part of the people were like, no, we need to reach all these lost gang kids, all these people that are living in sin, that are doing all these things, and we need to be able to bring them into, into the church. And then there was another third that said, no, no, well, let's put them all in Christian school and let them all live together in Christian school. Little did they know that was going to cause lukewarmness among them. And so we had three distinct groups that at first they were all loving me, and they were all giving me stuff and doing stuff and like trying to win me so I would go their way. And, you know, that could be the way to do it. I, I listened, I listened, but yet if I went with these people, these people didn't like me. And I went with these people, these people. And I was just like, God, I don't know what to do. And I'll never forget, here's how it all came about. Sunday school material was all King James only. Now, if you're King James only, I'm not saying anything bad about all of that, but <coughs> that's not where I was at that time. And so Sunday school material was all King James only, and the pastor had led all of those people to believe that's the direction we were going. And I talked with the pastor. I stayed under my authority, and I changed the Sunday school curriculum to, like, NIV. Oh, my goodness. How many of y'all know what happened there? Dude, I had five nooses around my neck at that point. I had a guillotine. It was all there. And these people were supporting me. And, and all of a sudden, I just created a war. And then we started a youth service, man. And I, 
uh, tried to do this tactfully, but I put a Christian rock band together. Now you know what happened to me again. This was back during worship wars. And, and this wasn't even the contemporary of the stuff we're doing now, okay? And so, so back then, man, we had drums. I had a guy who could sing the lights out, but he got criticized because he had too many falsettos. You guys know what a falsetto is? It's like, whoa, you know, and he, boy, that was worldly, ungodly, and that was straight from the pit of hell, somebody doing falsettos in church, unless they're doing a hymn. And so, man, it was like, I'm in the middle of this whirlwind, and I got people believing anything with a beat is from hell, anything other than King James only. Man, girls should be wearing culottes and gauchos, and dude, how many of y'all ever wore culottes and gauchos? Yeah, how many of you ever went whitewater rafting in culottes and gauchos? Dude, we went to a youth camp, and the girls insisted on wearing those because they were modest. Well, let me tell you, when you're in a raft going through a class four rapid, and your culottes end up around your ears, it is not very modest, all right? A bathing suit is much more modest. So I got put in a situation where I'm not trying to fight anybody. Dude, I just want to make disciples. That's all I want to do. I want to teach people how to understand God's word and apply it to their life. And watch them do it and watch them succeed. Because how many of you know that when you apply God's word to your life, it works? Do you know that? Amen. How many of you know that uh, the Bible's like a giant stick of deodorant? You can have a 55-gallon drum of the stuff, but if you don't apply it, you're going to stink. Do you know that? So it's not about knowing Bible, knowing all the verses. It's about applying it to your life and seeing life from God's perspective and doing it. And so... I'm now caught in the middle of this thing that I know God put me in. And I'm like, God, I don't know how to be a youth pastor. God, I can't. You know, what do you want me to do? And so literally, I am in a position. Got a brand new, you know, Ashley's, you know, by this time, probably like three and a half years old. Matthew, my son, was born there. In fact, the night that Linda, or day Linda got home from the hospital, we had a youth service with 600 kids. And I remember watching my baby boy getting passed from one side to the other while I'm preaching up in these bleachers. It was so cool to watch my kids raise all that. But at the time, dude, I could not make a move without God telling me what to do. Because whenever anybody asked me, Elena, why did you do that? What should my response be? Because God told me to do it. Everybody count me out with this one. Tom, why did you do that? Exactly. Al, God, why did you do that? God told me to do it. Troy, why'd you do that? You know you can hear that today, right? Cindy, you didn't ask that. What did you do that again? Where'd you get that from? Okay, what did you tell her? That's it. Look at her in the eye and say, God told me. Yeah, but make sure that's where you're getting your instructions from. Don't just blame it on God. Because how many of y'all ever got blamed for something that's, that you supposedly told somebody to do and you didn't? How'd you feel about it? Now imagine how God's going to feel about it if you start blaming him and you really didn't get instructions from him. So... That became my standard go-to answer. And so, man, these, this group of deacons, why are you, they all had a big posse, and why did you do that? Why did you change this curriculum? Why are you having this rock band and having pyrotechnics? And, you know, man, dude, we have pyrotechnics, man. And I used to have this thing. We had a gym, Terry. You would have loved this. But it was kind of like every youth service, I would pop out of somewhere. I'd swing out of the rafters. This is when I was young. I'd come in on a handstand on a skateboard. I'd, every youth service, I'd come in somewhere different, and everybody would be like, ah! Oh! And it was, it was like state-of-the-art back then, dude. Now it's just cheesy. 
But, man, it's, it was so cool. But they're like, oh, that's all the world. They didn't even pay attention to the fact that I'm teaching the Word of God and that we had kids in numerous different little small groups all over. We, we had over four or 500 students being ministered to in small groups, and we didn't even have a building. They were under trees. Linda had her little group of girls that she still talks to on Facebook. And now they're married and have kids. And she had that little group of introverted girls in a stairwell. That was their, they met under a stairwell in Pine Hills. And if you know anything about Orlando, you know why they met under a stairwell. But I'm just saying, dude, it was like cool what God was doing. But they couldn't see past all of God working because it, their traditions were in the way. And, and if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. And we need to listen when somebody says, why would you do that? Because God told me to. When somebody tells us God's telling them to do something, Man, we need to listen. Because here's what it came down to. I had somebody ask me and said, how did you know that God told you to do that? And I had to kind of come up with some answers. And this is how this one happened. Because I had, Kevin, you're not going to believe this. I had a mom, two moms come in. They were, they were well, I'm not even going <laughs> to elaborate. They were as, just, and they come in and they were like, I would rather my kid listen to country music. Then that Christian rock. <laughs> and I'm just like, do you understand this country music is talking about, you know, mom getting run over by a train and you sleeping with this person and this person getting drunk and this person fighting this one and hitting somebody to pick up. You understand all that? Yes, but but it's the beat. It's that devil beat. It's the same beat they use in Africa to drum up the spirits. And I'm like, no, it's the words. It's the mess. And so I had to, I said, listen, listen. And God gave this to me. And, and this was kind of cool because what happened was I said, listen, man. I said, in order for it to be of God, I said, the message has to be right with Scripture. In context, you can't just go and pick Scripture, pick Scripture, and make it all fit what you want. But in context, and that's why Christians need to read the whole Word of God from Genesis to Revelation and not skip around and know the Bible so that in context you know the whole story and what you're getting being asked to do by what you think is God fits in the context of Scripture. If it is not right with the message of Scripture, it is not God telling you to do it. Amen? <laughs> It's got to be, the message has to be right with God. Your motivation has to be to glorify God, okay? So the message has to be right with Scripture. Your motivation has to be to glorify God. Uh, the messenger needs to be filled with the Spirit, but God continually changes methods, all right? So, so again, the messenger needs to be filled with the Spirit. The motivation needs to be to glorify God. And the message needs to be right with Scripture in context. But the methods change. And you know what I was finding out back in these worship wars? The very same arguments people were using against Christian rock were the same arguments that people with hymns were using against the Psalms. You realize back in the day, all people ever sang was from the Psalms. They sang from the Bible and the Psalms, and that was it. And when people started writing their own songs about God, how dare you, that's straight from the pit of hell, that you would not just sing from the Bible and you would only use hymns. Now you're writing these hymns. Well, those are the same arguments they were using, and they were using, and they were using, that, that kept going. So what it comes down to, again, and help me out, it, so you can know that what you're saying, blaming God for, is from God. The message needs to be what? Right with Scripture, okay? And the messenger needs to be filled with the Spirit of God. Your mo the messenger's motivation needs to be to bring glory to God, okay? So the message needs to be right with Scripture. The messenger needs to be... Filled with the Spirit, the motivation needs to be to 
glorify God. And the methods can be different as long as they're not against Scripture. You know, I'm going into Publix with my AKA 47 and I'm going to daggummit lead everybody to Jesus. Fun, you know, that's not a method that goes with Scripture. There's something wrong there. So it's got to be all of that put together in there. And when you have all of that and people say, Susie, why did you do that? What should you be able to answer them with? God said to. How many of y'all did some things this past week, just today even? All right, let's give you two days. This weekend, how many of y'all did some things this weekend that you would not feel comfortable saying that God told you to do? Yeah, we're all there. So what if we put that through the test? What if we made that our motivation? What if we made that our mandate? We tried to make that the reason why we did everything. So that if somebody were to ask, why'd you do that, Kevin? So I thought, I don't know. <laughs> I just felt like I needed to do it. What if we could just say, because I believe that's what the Holy Spirit of God wants me to do. And we put it through that test and we see that it does glorify God. We see that it's right with scripture. But boy, the world needs some different methods right now. This is the most unchurched place in the United States right here. So man, make sure that your message is right with scripture. Your motivation is to glorify God. And as a messenger, you're filled with his spirit. He's got all kinds of ways for you to lead people to Christ in a junkyard in Louisiana, brother. <laughs> that I don't have the opportunity to. And you, out on the beach at your new house where you guys are at, you two, man, tag team it up. Man, he's got ways to do that, different methods. Start asking for it when people say, what in the world did you do that for, Cynthia? What are you going to tell them? Because God told me to do it. Yeah. Why'd you go to Flying Panda? Because <laughs> God told me to do it. But when you go, remember why he sent you and why you're there. So let's take a look and see this from the life of Peter. As we jump into Acts chapter 11, we're continuing in the book of Acts now, and we're starting in verse 1. And um, I want you to see again, the gospel is confrontational, and the gospel, the true gospel, brings conflict. And you know what? Never have we been in a day and age where the name of Jesus is more offensive. You can talk to people about church, you can talk to them about worship, you can talk to them about God, but when you start saying that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the only life, and the only way to God the Father... When you start being exclusive, man, this world we live in is not into that right now. And it will be controversial. But nevertheless, this is the world God has put us in. So let's see if Peter's is just a little bit different, almost directly opposite us. But now check this out. Verse 1. Now you remember Peter, because we haven't been in here in, in the uh, Acts in a little while. But you remember Peter? He was in Jerusalem. There was all kinds of great things happening. He had heard about some Samaritans getting saved. So he went up to Judea and he went up and, and saw that going on. And then he went up into Caesarea. And while he's there, man, he saw more. He saw Gentiles getting saved. You remember he was living with, with Simon the Tanner. And Tanners dealt with dead bodies and Jews didn't have anything to do with dead bodies. So why did Simon Peter stay at uh, Simon the Tanner's house? Because God told him to. Exactly. And then some people came, and we're going to see this story repeated again by Luke. Some people came and told him, you know, hey, man, you need to come with all these Gentiles and come to the Gentile house. Why did he go to that Gentile house, Brian? What's our answer for everything? Because God told him to, man. Exactly. That's why he did it. So now he's seen Samaritans getting saved. He's seen Gentiles getting saved. And the Jews hated, hated, hated the Gentiles. Didn't even want the dust from their, from their area on their feet. They had to almost throw their stuff away if it touched anything Gentile. 
utensils made by him, anything. And so now he's seen everybody getting saved, seen the gospel open up to the world, and now he's coming back to Jerusalem and getting ready to tell everybody about this great revival. Isn't that a great thing? Getting ready to tell them all about revival. What would you expect, man? You're coming back here. Tell everybody. Wouldn't you expect everybody wanting to see the slideshow, man, and the PowerPoint and hear all the great stories? Everybody's like, yeah. But look what happens, man. The gospel's controversial, especially when you box it up and you think it's in a nice, neat little box. Verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. I want you to see that news travels faster than people. <laughs> the news of the Gentiles getting saved, it beat Peter getting back there. So when Peter now is coming back, people had already heard what had happened. Those dirty, nasty Gentiles that we would wish really would just die and go to hell because of what they've done to us and how, how repulsive they are. Man, we heard they got saved. Now, we got some questions about all that. So look what happens. Now, when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him. Hey, what does it mean to contend with somebody? Argue with them. Argue with them. Yeah, to what? Uh, no, contend is up. Dude, and this is a mild word, contend. Some of your other translations say, dude, they duped it out with them. When Peter was coming back, like, oh, everybody got saved. It was revival. And, man, it was supposed to be great. And these guys are waiting like this. Hey, has anybody ever come home when somebody's waiting for you like that? <laughs> Not your sweet wife. I know it had to be somebody else, right? Yeah, you get home and you see somebody waiting for you like, like that. That's the way they were. You knew, man, something was up. And these guys were, were ready to duke it out with him. Now, look who they were. Those of the circumcision, all right? So the circumcision, those were the Jews who were now born again. Now, get this. This is 10 years after Pentecost, okay? The gospel had been alive for 10 years. 10 years later, there's still people saying that in order to be saved, you have to have Jesus Christ and accept what he did on the cross as payment for your sin. But you still have to follow Jewish rules. You still have to get circumcised. You still have to obey the Sabbath. You still have to. You still have to. And then, in fact, Paul wrote the whole book of Galatians for the purpose of telling them, no, you don't. All you need is Christ. All those things are gone. They're a shadow. They're a picture of what Christ would do and what he finally fulfilled, which is what we've been learning on Monday night in Leviticus and now in Numbers. And so when Peter came back, all those people are saying, no, no, dude, you got to be religiously Jew. You can't be eating that stuff. You can't be acting that. You got to dot your I's and cross your T's, your jots and your tittles. He said, man, he said, man, no, you, they, they contended with them. They fought with them. They're like, how dare you? Look what they even said, verse 3. Saying, you went into uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Now, that doesn't sound like much to us. But when I was in Africa, um, we had these uh, pounded yams. And they would put it in a, in a mold, like a jello mold, and they'd put it on a plate. And then they would put, and then they would put like palm oil around it. Now, uh, in Africa, uh, where we were at, your left hand, your utility hand. <clears throat> that's where you sneeze into, that's where you dig earwax out with, that's where you scratch your head, that's where, yeah, they go out the bath, they got to dress, and they'll just squat in the middle of somewhere, go to the bathroom, that's their utility hand, okay? And, you know, as long as you keep utility hand, utility hand, it's all good, right, Terry? Utility hand, utility hand. But everybody, now, when we eat together in Africa there, and it's the same way in this culture, you use your non-utility hand, and you grab a little piece of, uh, 
you know, yam, and then you dip it in the, the sauce that's there, the palm oil. Doesn't that sound awesome? You know, can you imagine all of us eating together like that right now? How many of you would skip the meal? Honestly, come on, man. How many of y'all would not skip the meal? You're like, dude, I, you know, I know that, that yeah, dude, that's it, man. I'm just, if I die, I'm going to heaven. Just don't let me get maimed and sick before it. But, yeah, I mean, literally, everybody who digs in there, it's kind of like uh, they tell you on the mission field, don't eat fruit that you haven't peeled. And I was like, why? And they said, well, all right, let me put it a different way. Don't eat any fruit from people who peeled it whose fingernails you wouldn't bite. How many, how many people here would bite the person next to them their fingernails? No. All right, Kevin, yeah, I believe you, man. I'm right there with you, but I ain't biting yours. No. But, what happens but, if you're left-handed? Well, that's what happened. I was there, I was there and so, so the idea is back in that culture, when you shared a meal, you actually swapped some body fluids, right? I mean, how many of y'all like today are going to the Mexican, like last week we had the Mexican place and, and everybody's watching to see who's double dipping. And if, you know, if I ever want salsa to myself, you know what I do? I double dip and then nobody else wants it. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm joking. But, but seriously, you don't do that because you don't want to swap fluids, right? But in their culture, when you ate with somebody, that was like an intimate act. I mean, it wasn't as much as kissing them, swapping spit that way, but you were with fluid. So you ate meals. It was a sign that we're one, we're together. So when they said you ate with Gentiles, ah! I mean, that was as bad as it could get. Now, my Africa story, I am left-handed, brother. And so we, and I, I, I didn't get the whole utility hand thing, and I didn't use it for what they use, but I'm left-handed, dude. And um, we're at the dinner table, and I reach in with my left hand. And everybody goes, oh! and then he says in, in, in Hausa, that was the Nigerian language where we were at. Oh, don't worry about it. He's an American. He's left-handed. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, that was, but seriously, when you talk about breaking bread with somebody, and like I have a loaf and I take a hunk off and give it to Marilyn. She takes a hunk off. You take a hunk off. You take a By the time it gets down to you and you're, uh, you know, Troy, you're down to the last hunk and it's all slobbery and stuff. I mean, that's your hunk, bro. It's like you now have gotten to share, break bread with all of us. So when they're talking about the Gentiles, you broke bread with them. We don't even use your utensils and you're swapping spit with them. <gasps> you know, so in this, they were just appalled that he would have that kind of intimate relationship. And he's like, you know we don't do that. We're Jews. Well, we're Christians, but we're Jews. We don't hang out with those people. We're Christians, and we all believe we're going to heaven when we die. But we don't do that with those people there. We don't get near those people there. We don't act. And so they were prejudiced. They, they, they drew some lines, and they thought the people had to become Jews first. And so in this, Peter now, who was the head Jew, he had to come up with an answer. And so, John, if, if they would ask him, why did you do that? What was his only Bible answer? God told me to do it. Andrew, why did you do that? God told me to do it. And you better have that right when you're facing a bunch of Jews and you just swap spit with a bunch of Gentiles. All right? I'm just saying. And, and you're going to get questioned, why did you do that? And, you know, back in my youth pastor days when I was cutting my teeth on all that and I'd have those deacons coming in snarling, foaming at the mouth like, why'd you do that? And I could just say, because God told me to do it. They had nothing to say. They had nothing to say. 
Some of them would sneak me books, you know, that, from, you know, that were written by somebody who wrote from this guy and this guy that why, why everything with a beat was from hell, you know. But when I took them back to Scripture, when I would take people back to Scripture, and they now knew my heart that I was filled with the Holy Spirit and my motivation was to glorify God, they had nothing to say. Because that was not theirs. Their motivation was to keep their tradition alive. Their, their message was the message that they, what their tradition that they'd been raised up with. They were not filled with the Holy Spirit because they were cussing at me. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't cuss, all right? <laughs> I'm just saying. Filled with the Spirit, you're full of love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness, not perversion and cussing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good sign you're not filled with the Spirit. If you start, like, throwing the F-bombs around and you start four little words, you are not filled with the Spirit at that point in time, all right? So in this, man, Paul, uh, Peter had to have a good come back. He had to have a good answer. You went into uncircumcised men and you ate with them. I, we're not even going to go and, and to the point that you stayed at Simon the Tanner's house. We're not even going to go to the point that you know all these other things. Just doing this proves, Peter, you are not right with God. But Peter explained to them in order from the beginning saying this. You know what Peter's getting ready to do? He's getting ready to blame it all on who? Yeah, dude, he's got a track record. He's getting ready to he's getting ready to tell them what happened, and we've seen this story already a couple times. So let's see what he explains to them and how God has worked. And let me ask you a question: When you, Kevin, tell people what God has done in your life and how it works, what's that T word that it is? It's a it's a testimony. <laughs> yeah, that's the word. I'm, I'm helping you out here, but training. Yeah, isn't that what God what God wants us to do with stuff, Tom? When God does supernatural things in your life, why is he doing those? He wants it so he can, so you have a reason to brag on him. And so God put this situation in Peter's life. So not only God could Peter blame God, but Peter could tell everybody what God's done. Check this out, dude. Man, our refrigerator, uh, uh, this, is, this is so cool. A couple, three weeks ago when my kids were down, Matt and all of them were down, man, they bought ice cream. And that ice cream never got hard. Now, how many of y'all like soft ice cream? It's kind of good, isn't it? And so we had Publix ice cream, and I'm like, dude, hey, this is all right. Maybe it, and we're like, I don't know, maybe the freezer's not working. I'm like, and I'm thinking, no, man, that maybe it's a new kind of chemical they put in to keep it soft, man. <laughs> you know, unlike <laughs> Joy's. So, and then slowly but surely, some things in the freezer didn't work. Now we're noticing the refrigerator not working. I'm like, dang, it ain't Publix. <laughs> and it's like, man, our freezer's broken, and man, they're expensive. How's this? God. And, and so I had mentioned uh, I think it was on Monday night, was it, in small group? Because we were talking about surfing or doing something. And I was like, oh, yeah, Natalie, yeah, yeah I can't do something tomorrow because I got, I got a guy coming in to, who's going to charge me 55 bucks to tell me my refrigerator's broken. <laughs> it wasn't exactly that. But I was like, I got to wait on a repairman. And hopefully you can shoot it with some free on, do something, you know. And Natalie says, oh, you know what, man, my aunt had a free refrigerator that she didn't want. She was just changing. And, and she made me take it. And I, every time I walk out of my, my, my door, I look at this refrigerator freezer running, eating up my electric bill, and wondering why it's there. If you need a freezer or a refrigerator, man, it's yours. Well, the next day, the guy comes by, charged me 55 bucks, which I guess is not a bad deal, and says, oh, yeah, it's broken. You need to get a new one. I'm like, awesome. So what is it? 55 bucks. Tell me that. Okay, here. And, and so I talked to Natalie, and boom, 
God gave us a free refrigerator through Natalie. And I called her and I said, Natalie, I, I really need, I know you're cutting hair, you're trying to earn a living, you're trying to do your job, but it's more important right now that you take measurements and tell me if, so that I know whether this is going to fit, all right? Because if it's not going to fit, I've only got today to find this refrigerator because tomorrow my dog's getting fixed. And the next day this is going on, so drop everything, Natalie, and give me measurements. I, I'm sorry for that. God didn't tell me to really do it that way, but I know I probably seem that way. And then, and, and Natalie's like, she's like, hey, you know, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind this refrigerator's for you. I'm saying, but it's got to fit. And she's, and, and she's like, yeah, no problem. It's going to fit. It's for you. You know, my wife prayed all day the refrigerator's going to fit. She's at a ball tournament working. And I'm sitting there thinking as she's praying for the refrigerator fit that God's like shrinking the fridge to the right size. Something. I don't know how God works it out. But guess what? We went and got the fridge. And, and, and I went to go put it in. And guess what? No. <laughs> it didn't fit. <laughs> and, but... But we, JJ and I jacked it up, man, and we took the back wheels off. And with the back wheels, it was like, oh, the back fits. And then I go to take the front. You ever take front wheels off a fridge? That's how you, like, adjust some things, right? And everything says, oh, you mess it all up if you do that. And I'm like, well, I got no choice. We took the front wheels off, and, dude, one little swift shove, and guess what? It fits, and it's cold. And now, why did God do that? So I could share with all of you, whether it's a refrigerator or your car or whatever it is that you need, whatever it is, man, God's got it. He's got it. That's why he did it, not to keep my food cold, so that I could tell you that God's alive and he works, man, in millions of different ways. So here, verse 4, Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, just like I just told you. You know the whole history of my refrigerator stocking now, don't you? And you're like, what did he tell me all that for? Because I'm trying to be like Peter, okay, who's trying to be like God. All right, so Peter explained from the beginning, and look what he says, and I'm going to bust through this because it's the third time we've heard this story. He said, all right, guys, I was in Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet. It lit down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently, I'm looking in there to see what's in that sheet, and I considered I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the earth, stuff as Jews were not supposed to be eating. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill it, and eat it. And, but I said, no, Lord, no. Anybody ever say, no, Lord, no? <laughs> yeah. And no, Lord, no, for nothing common or unclean has ever at any time entered my mouth. I don't care what you say, God. My tradition says this. And that's where he was at. And he said, but the voice answered me again from heaven, says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, this was done three times. Hey, why did God have to do it three times, Natalie? He didn't get it the first two, man. Dude, I, we want to criticize Peter for three. How many of us have got it on the third try from God? You know, we're still working on it, right? Terry, we're still working on it. Not, not picking on you in particular, but you're just there. But now this was done three times and drawn up again to heaven. And Peter must have played baseball because he knew three strikes you're out. And at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Yes, I know that's where the Gentiles all swap spit. And he says, then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren, I brought six Jews with me, because uh, just, just, you know, so I wouldn't be the only one in trouble, and we entered the man's house. So here it is, he's telling him exactly how it happened. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and said to him, send men to Joppa, call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. And he's looking at these guys and saying, dude, what, what would you do? 
Man, I saw the vision. They happened. It, remember we said last week, it, you call it coincidence, but I call it Christ. As a believer, when you're seeing it from God's perspective, it's not coincidence, it's Christ. And that's what he's saying, guys. This is too much for me to, 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 for me to blow off. Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Who will tell you words by which you all in your household will be saved? And by the way, that's the only new part in this story. This is how we know that this man who was seeking God with his whole heart hadn't fully found him yet. Because of this verse, he needed Peter to come to him and bring Christ. You seek God with your whole heart, you will find him, but you don't really find him until you find Christ. It's got to be done through Christ. And so in this, Peter now is going to be going to tell them the words by which they will be saved, which is Jesus. And so verse 15, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon him as upon us in the beginning. It happened just like it happened with us. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John, indeed, baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave these guys the same gifts that he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Man, circle that, underline that, memorize that. Because if God told you to do something, Laura, do it. who are you to tell God no? Man, how many of y'all have ever told God no before? <laughs> Raise your hand, please. Yes, we all have. It's wrong. He, but Peter, he said, man, if God told me to do it, who in the world am I to tell God no? I'm beyond that. I'm more mature than that. I've passed it. It doesn't make sense. Yes, I know I swap spit with Gentiles. There's nothing grosser in the entire universe than doing that. I do know that. But this is what God told me to do, and look what happened. The whole world now has got the gospel, and now it can be spread. I know it didn't make sense to me either, guys, but I had to do it because God told me to do it. Verse 18, when they heard these things, they became, became what? What happened? Why did they become silent, Fernanda? Exactly. The same way when I told those guys, why did you bring a smoke machine in there? Why did you do the? Why did you swing in from the rafter like as God told me to? And they had nothing to say that God did not tell me to do that. Because they couldn't disprove it with scripture. They couldn't disprove that I was full of the spirit. And they couldn't disprove my motivation was to glorify God. And they couldn't disprove that God was saving these kids. And they were coming to Christ. Dude, at my youth service, man, that we had, it was so funny, man. This was one of the, this was one of the greatest controversies ever. I had rival gang members in opposite ends that got saved. And the beginning of the service during songs, they're flashing gang signs at each other from opposite ends. And I'm sitting there going, oh, God. And I have homeschoolers that had never heard a foul word in the middle of all of them. And I'm just like, God, what are we going to do? And that's how God develops small groups. Because I could put people, uh, the gang members that got, seriously, the gang members that got saved, you know what? You know who I gave them? Gang members that needed to be saved. My little pristine homeschoolers, you know who I gave them? I gave them little pristine homeschoolers that needed to be saved. And they all had their little stairwells in their trees. And God divided all of that. But I can remember preaching, watching my son getting pushed, and gang members and deacons looking, hiding in the back, waiting, and I'm just like, oh, God, you told me to do this. And here we are, and we're doing it. And it's some of the most awesome stuff I've ever been a part of in my life. And it's the same way today. When we can do what God tells us to do, 
unashamedly. We can do it without fear. And we, not just part of the time, but constantly be doing it, man. We get to see things so supernatural that only who can get the blame? God. But we got to live that way 24-7 as best we can. And look at this. They became silent. And look what happened. They glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Got to tell you this. Lynn, do you remember that deacon's retreat we went to? <laughs> yeah, it, this was in the heyday, in the middle of all this. We all got it. They were going to invite the staff to a deacon's retreat that they had every year out at Lake Yale. This big old, man, they had roast beef, all kinds. I remember the food, right? They had all this <laughs> stuff, man. And we get there, and they wanted us, oh, would you give the deacons a rundown on all your ministries? And so we each as staff had to do all this. Little did I know that they were pitting me and the worship pastor, I'd only been there eight years, but he'd been there like 20 years. They were pitting us against each other so they could fire me for doing what God had told me to do. And guess what? It didn't work. <laughs> we, we created, we, we shared our testimonies of what God was doing and he supported me and I supported him. And their whole ungodly plan from the pit of hell in the name of Christ failed. And then later we found out, like years later, how the pastor, when he got caught in immorality, had been pitting all these groups against each other so he could be the rescuer. Now, this happens in church, guys. So don't ever just leave a church because those people are messed up. I want to tell you what, I know all of you guys and every one of y'all are messed up. And me, we're all messed up, aren't we? We all got issues, but we got to be seeing life from God's perspective. And if the reason we do things is to... Be able to, as God told us to do it, it all works out. Later, when we, our pastor's now gone and we're all in staff and 15 of us are talking, well, yeah, you remember that when that happened and that happened. Well, but he told me this and no, he told me this. No, he told them this. And we were looking at all this and seeing how we were being played, but it didn't work. You know why it didn't work? Because when we were asked why we were to do something, Andrew, what was our answer? Exactly. And when every one of us, even though people in their little political system in a church were trying to play us and use us and pit us against each other so they could look good in removing people and putting people in and all of that stuff, it didn't work because every one of us, our goal was to glorify God. That was our motivation to glorify God. Our, our, we were full of the spirit and our messages were right with God. We didn't compromise, and so none of those plans worked out. And so what I'm trying to tell you guys, I wish I had every story that since then that I could tell you has worked out that way for me. But I'm a sinner, and I'm human like all of you guys, and there's some times where I do let my emotions get in the way. There's times where I let my, I let my logic get in the way. There are times where I do things, and I cannot in any way, shape, or form blame them on God. But man, I'm trying to eliminate those things as often as possible. Man, when anybody asks me why I'm doing anything, I want to be able to tell them because God said so. Raising kids, Ashley, you hated me for a whole year because I broke you and that boy up. 
whose, whose, whose mom and dad came in and met with me, and at 14 years old, they had her planned out that, look, if we can put her and my son together and nurture this relationship for the next four years and they get married, we can survive this whole dating thing. And none of us have any problems. We think she's the one for us. And I'm like, no, she's 14. Well, you can't tell your daughter who she can like and who she has. I said, yes, I can, and that's my job. I'll move her to Africa if I have to. I am her father. I have got to do what God has told me to do. And she hated my guts for a year. You know how hard that was. But I looked in the mirror, and every time I got down to pray, it was like, God, this is what you're telling me to do. I've been through it with my son. Hadn't had to do with that, Emily because she's the smartest of all of them, and she's learned <laughs> from all of those guys. Either that or she can just hide it really good. I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you think I believe that? No, I'm just messing with you. No. I'm just saying, guys. Everything we go through in life, Terry, you got three daughters, buddy. You don't think it's going to be hard? And, and it doesn't just come when you need it. You've got to live this way and say, God, what do you want me to do? And you do it. And boy, JJ, are you glad I made that call as her husband? Do you think Keone's glad that I made that call? You owe me, buddy. <laughs> no, I'm, just I'm just saying, man. It just, no matter what phase of life, wherever you're at, the only reason you do anything is because God told you to do it. Yeah, Joyce? What if, what if he doesn't answer when you ask? Then you keep, when you don't know what to do, you do what you know to do. You keep doing it. You keep doing what you're doing. And, and it, you keep doing it. As long as it's right with Scripture, and as long as your motivation is to bring glory to God, and as long as you're as best as you can filled with the Spirit of God, you keep doing what you're doing. And he will guide you and direct you in all of that. I'll guarantee it, man. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I'm so grateful that you love us so much that you made it possible for us to live with, to, to have you live inside of us. You'd rather die than not have us in heaven. And you gave us the desire and ability to surrender our lives to you so that we could have that home in heaven and spend it with you forever and ever and ever. And we're so looking forward to that. But God, i got to tell you, <clears throat> life here on this planet is hard. And what's hard is our flesh getting in the way and us not listening to you. Jesus, you told us that if we're overwhelmed and burdened and heavy laden, just, just overwhelmed with stuff, to jump in the yoke with you and let you just carry us. The only way we can do that is to quit fighting you and just go in the direction you want us to go in, even though we don't technically know how it's all going to work out. You tell us it's all going to work out. We know everything in the past has, but Father, I just pray that today you would speak to each of our hearts and we would surrender whatever it is we need to surrender to you to do things your way. Because you want to do things so supernatural that only you can get blamed. You want to fix things that are so broke that we've given up and we don't even have any hope, any idea how to fix. You want to fix those things, Father. Father, you want to straighten things out that are so crooked we don't even know what they used to look like. Father, I just pray that for everyone here, starting with me, that one, we'd be surrendered to you so we'd be full of your spirit. I pray, too, Father, that our only motivation in life would be to glorify you. And I pray, Father, that we'd be such students of your word that we would know from your word, that instruction manual you've given us, we would know 
because you've spoken it to us, what we're supposed to do. Not just we've heard it from other people, but we've experienced it, reading it, and your Holy Spirit has made it come alive in our life. So, Father, I, I pray that our answer for everything would be because you told us to do it. And if there's someone here that's never surrendered their life to you through what Jesus did on the cross, they're not sure they're going to heaven when they die, they're not positive that, that they're yours because their motivations and desires aren't all for you, Father, I pray that you would speak to them. I pray, Father, you'd give them a desire they can't refuse until they just surrender themselves to you. And Father, I pray for all of us that you would do things so supernatural in our lives that we can't keep our mouth shut, can't be quiet about, we can't hold in, but we would have to just tell everybody about how awesome you are. Father, just do something so supernatural when you give blame. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.